you are our living hope. Our hope and our salvation are found in nothing else but you. And so we come before you today to sing your praises. We come before you that we may behold you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. For in you there is life, and in you there is love. Things that can't be found outside of you, God. We come to you and we worship you, for you are good and you are faithful to us. God, we thank you for another week. Another week where you guided us, where you led us, where you encouraged us and sustained us by your spirit. We experienced healing this week. We experienced you. We thank you for your restoration. We thank you for forgiveness. God, we thank you that in you we find rest. So God, we want to linger here in this moment with you where we are loved, where we are nurtured. We feel your arms wrapped around us as our loving Father. As our kind and gentle King. God, we pray that in this moment, in this day, in this place, in this church, God, that you would be glorified above all else, that we would focus on you, that we would see you clearly, and that we, that we, God, would trade in every other desire for you. For you are our treasure. God, forgive us when we pursue other things. Forgive us when we seek approval of men and women more than your approval. God, we pray that your word would be revealed to us, that we would have open ears and open eyes to see you and hear you and respond to you in obedience. God, may the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Good morning. We are here in the third week of our, our new series called Focus, and I'm really excited to be here with you. And, and we are asking, as we have the previous two weeks, what are we looking at? 
What are we looking at? Because in today's life, and probably in the last week, maybe even today itself, we have been distracted. We have so many distractions, so many possibilities, so many other things to look at. And so Hebrews 12, 2, the, the verse that, that we keep going back to is, is you know, uh, the author is telling us to fix our eyes on Jesus who is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, to fix our eyes there and, and just not look anywhere else, but just right there, like keep our eyes on there. And, and so we're looking at the life of Peter. And uh, the last two weeks, we've talked about, you know, how Peter was distracted, how he took his eyes off Jesus and focused them somewhere else. So the first week, we saw what happened when, when Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and he looked at his own, his own character instead of Jesus. And last week, we talked about uh, what happened to Peter when he focused on his circumstances instead of Jesus. So last week, we were talking about you know, Jesus walking on the water. Jesus comes walking on the water to the boat, and Peter gets out of the boat, and he walks with him. And we said that when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we're able to do incredible things. We're able to do incredible things. But when we focus on our circumstances, like Peter did last week, when we focus on our circumstances, we miss out on what Jesus is doing all around us. But ultimately, if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, our faith will overcome our fears, right? So this week, we're going to press on, and we're going to look at a little bit of a different kind of distraction here. Uh, let me ask you, have you ever, uh, have any of you ever acted differently to impress someone? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking, I, and I know you're thinking, man, like, you know, many of us, most of us in this room are adults, and we're just, we're, we're past that kind of thing. Like, we have evolved, um, and we are over that kind of teenage drama, right? We don't have to worry about who we're going to sit with at lunch. We don't have to worry about, you know, whether we're accepted into this clique or, or that crew or, or, you know, whatever. And it's true. Many of us have grown in confidence and maturity over the years. And so many of us have, have maybe even formed our own squad, right? However, I still think that we care a lot about what others think about us. I think so. I think if we're honest, I think it matters a great deal whether your boss likes you or not. It matters a great deal what our friends think about us. And whether we care to admit it or not, we care a lot about who those friends actually are. I mean, we, when we find those, those friends that we want to fit in with, many times we want to prove that we belong I mean, just think about social media, right? We have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. All these platforms are created to help people connect. They're created to help people connect. And they were meant for us to be real. They were meant for us to, to connect with others just over the day-to-day -day stuff. Oh, here's lunch, you know, whatever. Here's, a, here's what I'm doing, right? And yet, I think most of us would agree that how we are online is maybe not how we really are right? I think, I think in a lot of ways, we have, you know, those, those, uh, those times where our house is not clean. We have those times where we have our junk drawer, and we have those things that we would not exactly want to be posted online. See, the pictures are not the only things that have a filter, right? 
People show their best moments. Their best moments. They share their good sides. Yes, uh, a lot of people do care whether I'm pictured from this side or whether I'm pictured from this side, right? A lot of people care about that. They, they care about their good angle. They care about, you know, the angle of the camera. Is it, is it high? Is it low? Like, I don't know. Have you ever tried to take a picture with a middle schooler or a high schooler? I assure you. They're going to say, hey, let me, let me look at it. Oh, take it again. Take it again. Right? And, and, and that's only on good hair days, right? Only on good hair days. Why? Because we care. We care about what people see. We care about what people think of us. We want to be seen in a certain light. I mean, I think about this. One of the most common things for hackers, those who, who wish to do evil, right? One of the most common ways for them to get a virus on your computers and stuff um, is, is for uh, somebody to send you a link, right? And usually it will say something like this. OMG, is this really you? They know that you're going, oh my gosh, what is out there about me? Is there a video? Is there a picture? What is it? Right? I mean, maybe it doesn't say that. Maybe it says, did you hear what they're saying about you? And you click on the link. They know that. And that's how they prey on unsuspecting victims. Right? I think as evolved as we have become as a society, I think, you know, we could still be here all day telling stories of, of how we have changed something about ourselves, how we changed the way, um, you know, we looked or, or the way we behaved or, or the way we talked or the way we hang out with people or, or who we hang out with or how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we dress, you name it, all because someone thought we should or all because we thought that they thought that we should. Now, why would we do that? Why would we do that? Why would we change who we are because of how someone else thinks we should be? See, the saddest part to me about all of this, I think, is that we care so much about the opinions of people who barely know us. We care a lot about those people. I mean, I bet if you look back, you'll probably say that the people, the people that you tried to change the most for, the people, you know, who, who you, you know, altered who you were to fit in with them were the people who actually knew you the least. Why do the thoughts of others, and most times people who don't even know us, why do they matter so much? Well, today we're going to take a look at the Gospel of Mark. We're going to go to chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles with you today, please turn with me there. Uh, so Mark chapter 14, uh, the end of Mark. We're going to start in verse 66. So uh, of, all the of all the times that Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus, this is probably one of the most popular ones, right? This is one of the most famous instances of this kind. Mark 14, 66 to the end. Here's what it says, Okay. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. Again. He denied it. After a little while, those standing near 
said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses and swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Wow. See, just a few hours before this, just a few hours before this takes place, Jesus had been in the upper room with his disciples, and they were enjoying a meal together. Jesus washed their feet. They had been together. After dinner, Jesus gave the cup, right? The, the bread. He broke the bread. He gave the cup. They, they enjoyed that together. Then they went on a walk. And while they were on their walk, Jesus tells the disciples, you know what? Y'all are going to abandon me. And that's kind of a weird thing to say, right? I mean, well, guys, it's been a good run. I know we've been together for about three years, but, uh, you know, you guys are going to peace out on me real soon here. But see, Peter was offended by that. Peter was offended that Jesus would just lump him in with the rest of the disciples. He says, I don't care what everybody else does. I'm never going to abandon you. And then Jesus sadly told him that he would deny even knowing Jesus. He would deny even knowing Jesus three times that same night. Peter's offended again. He says, I don't care what happens. I will die before I deny you. And then Jesus goes off to pray by himself. The disciples fall asleep. You guys remember the story? Jesus gets arrested. All of the disciples run away. Peter actually pulls a sword and cuts off someone's ear before he runs away, but he still runs away. Verse 51 tells us that someone ran away completely naked. What are the odds? It's in the Bible. You should read it. So Jesus is arrested. And yes, all the disciples, including Peter, they abandon him. They just leave. But at some point, Peter must have doubled back because he, uh, he follows Jesus and the men who arrested him. And Jesus is taken before the Sanhedrin, the, uh, the Jewish authorities, the leaders of that day. Uh, they're going to meet in the middle of the night in the house of the high priest. And Peter shows up in the courtyard just a few minutes later. The first thing I want us to see today is that we can either focus on what people think about us or we can focus on what God thinks about us. We can either focus on what people think about us or we can focus on what God thinks about us. See, verse 66 says, While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him closely you also were with that Nazarene Jesus. Ah, the moment of truth. At this moment, Peter has a decision to make. How is he going to respond? He's going to choose who or what he's going to focus on. Peter's been trying to blend in with the people who have gathered. And the news and the noise of Jesus' arrest in the middle of the night, they brought a bunch of people there. So Peter is trying to blend in. The person in charge of letting people through the gate and into the courtyard was a servant girl. She couldn't have been more than 12 years old. At that time, at that time, there wasn't such a concept as adolescence 
or teens. They were, you were a child or you were an adult. And this girl was a child. And she saw Peter trying to stay warm by the fire. She recognizes him. And she asks him if he knew Jesus. I can't imagine that it was that threatening. I really can't. But either way, Peter is posed with the question, do you know Jesus? And we can either focus in that moment. We can focus on what is she going to think about us, or we can focus on what God thinks about us. But here's the spoiler, right? We can't do both. We can't do both. How is Peter going to respond to this girl? Verse 68, he denies it. I don't know or understand what you're even talking about. And he goes away. Peter was so afraid that she might associate him with Jesus that he denied even knowing him. And he tries to get away from her. I mean, it's pretty hard for a grown man to be intimidated by a sixth grade girl. And yet this man who walked and talked with Jesus, the Son of God, he is here lying and fleeing. This is the guy who just six chapters earlier when asked by Jesus, who do you say I am? He responds, you are the Messiah. Think about all that Peter had experienced over that time period. Think about all that he had seen. All that he had heard Jesus talk about. I mean, Jesus even warned him, you're all going to fall away. No, I won't. Yes, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. If you had a warning... If you had a warning, would you not be on high alert? Don't deny Jesus, don't deny Jesus, don't deny Jesus, don't deny Jesus. Oh, no. In that moment, something had to win. In that moment, something had to win. He couldn't do both. He couldn't live the double life, and he had to choose. Maybe he didn't even think about it. Maybe it was just like, man, this is just what's natural to me. I think that's what we all do in those kinds of circumstances. We just resort, we fall back to what's most natural to us. And Peter chose what's most natural to him. He cared more about what people thought than what God thought. And the opinion of this girl, who he didn't even know, mattered more to him than the opinion of Jesus. So Peter goes into the courtyard, and he tries to blend in with everybody else. But the girl, she keeps watching him. She keeps watching him. She has her eye on him. Verse 69 says, when the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denies it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you're one of them, for you're a Galilean. He begins, he begins to call down curses, right? He's calling down curses on them, on himself. He swore to them, I don't know this man who you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crows. See, we have a choice. 
We have a choice. We can focus on one or we can focus on the other. We can focus on what God thinks about us or we can focus on what people think about us. But we can't do both. And as long as we focus on what others think about us, then we can't fully experience God's love and plan for our lives. When we focus on what others think about us, as long as we focus on what others think about us, we cannot fully experience God's love and plan for our lives. See, this girl, this girl, she follows him in there, and she gets a few of the other uh, adults to uh, watch him. And she tells them about this guy, and they think maybe she's right. They thought maybe this guy does know the guy who's on the inside on trial. Peter is so desperate to prove that he's not that guy. That he is not who they think he is. And so he just starts spewing profanity. He just starts spewing it towards them, towards himself, towards these people, people he didn't even know. You, you name it there, right? No power to do anything about it. But he just starts spewing it. You know, he doesn't want them to know that he even knows Jesus. Peter had been so caught up in trying to prove to strangers that he wasn't who they thought he was, that he completely forgot what Jesus had told him earlier in the night. What was it that Peter was so afraid of? How did he go from boldly declaring, I will die before I betray you? Pull out a sword, chop off a ear. To lying and to cursing at a little girl so that no one would know he was with Jesus. Look how far he came in such a short time. He didn't even look like the same guy. He didn't talk like the same guy. He didn't act like the same guy. I mean, he was so focused on what this girl and the adults in the room were thinking of him that he didn't even know their names. And all he could think about was he wanted to run and hide. He was so focused on what they thought of him that he couldn't experience God's love and plan for him. He couldn't experience that. See, let me, let me ask you, what kills God's love in our lives? Us. We do. We kill God's love in our lives. When we choose to love people more than God, when we choose to elevate others uh, higher than him, we become numb. It makes us numb to God's love. We replace it for some cheap imitation. It's not the same. When we value what others want, what others think about us, what others desire for us, you know, over what God has planned, we are essentially, we're choosing to kill God's plan for this other plan. When it comes to living life, there's no life apart from Christ. We've already said that. But there's nothing else that even compares. John 17, 3 says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now this is eternal life, that they know you. You can't pursue other things and expect it to give you life. You can't go looking for love in all the wrong places and expect it to be able to deliver. And yet we convince ourselves that we can do both. I can fit in with God and I can fit in with my friends. I can fit in over here and I can fit in over here too. We are convinced 
that we can focus on both what people think and what God thinks. We are convinced that we can fit in with the world and stand out for God at the exact same time, but we can't. We cannot experience all that God has for us, his love, his plans, his purposes, if we are fixated on what others think about us. Let me say it this way. I think, I think that's a pretty easy way to say it, right? That's a pretty easy way to say it. You can't experience God's love and plan. It's softer. It's more palatable. But see, my name is Ben, and I have a Ph.D. in people-pleasing. So let me put it a different way for the stubborn and hard of heart, like myself. This past Wednesday at Fusion, one of our, our students, Carter Allfeld, uh, he's, a, uh, he's a freshman, going to be a sophomore, and he gave a message to the students on how to reach other students for Christ. He just, he just finished his freshman year. He's, he's going to Highlands High School. He's a sophomore. And here he is talking about God's desire to save the lost, God's plan to use his disciples, a.k.a. you and me, to make disciples. Disciples make disciples. And as I'm sitting there and I'm listening to Carter share how God is moving his life and how he desires to see a movement of God in his generation, I begin to think to myself, does God want my friends to be saved? Does God want your neighbors and coworkers, your classmates, your friends to be in relationship with him? Is that what God wants? Better yet, does God want to be in relationship with me or you? Does God desire for us, for them, for everybody, all 4.2 billion of us on this planet, does God desire for us to know him, to be fully surrendered to his will, to have life, to have it to the full? Does God desire that? If the answer is yes, if the answer is yes to any of those questions, then for us to want anything else is sin. If the answer is yes, that God desires that, for us to desire something that God does not desire, then it's sin, plain and simple. That, let's just call it what it is, to want something different than what God wants. That's what we call it. And so for us to be more focused on fitting in with people than fitting in with God, for us to be more concerned about how we appear to our community than how we appear to God, for us to trade in the love of God for the love of others is sin. And it's a problem because sin kills. Sin kills. We can't fully experience God's love and plan for our lives because sin, it stands in the way. It's not just a challenge. It's not just some minor obstacle. It is a barrier to blessing. It stands in the way between us and God. And God doesn't want to just remove it. He doesn't want, you know, to, to just, you know, get around it. No, he wants to destroy it. He wants to obliterate it. He wants it to never be there. Jesus didn't come to earth just to make our lives better. Just to, just to do some self-help, some self-improvement there. He came, lived an earthly life, died an undeserved death on the cross, not for sin management, but for sin demolition. He 
His desire was that all, that all that stands in between us and him would be destroyed and that his love, only his love, would remain. So we need to focus on the love of God instead of focusing on the love of others. You know, we need to focus on, you know, uh, what God thinks about us and not what others are thinking about us. You know, the, the last thing here, the last thing I, I think God wants us to, to, to see here today is this. Is this, when we focus on what Jesus thinks about us, we are transformed into Christ's likeness. When we focus on what Jesus thinks about us, we are transformed into Christ's likeness. See, when we focus on Jesus, we become like him. We become like him. Many of you believe the line, you are what you eat, right? We believe it because there's truth in it. No, it doesn't mean that if I eat a burrito that I will become a burrito. No, it simply means that, that what we put in our bodies will have a profound effect on what our bodies will look like. The things I give access to in my body will change me. We don't always apply the same principle to other things, but it's true. What is on the outside will eventually show itself. What's on the inside will eventually show itself on the outside. When Peter was so focused on what others thought of him, he was, he was the opposite of what he was. I mean, think about this for a second, okay? When, Jesus fo- when, when Peter follows Jesus around for three years, Peter is focused. Peter is focused on what Jesus thinks of him. He's the best version of himself. He's loyal. He's faithful. He's devout. But then he focuses on what other people think of him. And he's not so much. He's dishonest. He's fearful. The man who was normally so bold was insecure. And he was eventually ashamed. See, God doesn't want this for you and I. He doesn't want this for anyone. I mean, it's the reason why the Apostle Paul writes in, in Romans 12 too. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't fit in. Don't focus on that. Don't think about being like everybody else. Be different. Let God transform you. How is he going to transform you? Well, he's going to transform you from the inside out and starting with your mind. Starting with your mind. He will will start with how we think. See, there's a connection between how we think and how we act. How we think and who we are. There's a correlation about that. What we think about is what we become. That's why Paul tells us in Philippians 4, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. See, when we focus on Christ, we are transformed to be like him. When we focus on who we are in him, we are built up and encouraged. We accept and embrace our true identity. When we focus on who God says we are, we are more confident. When we are focused on what he thinks about, we are more obedient. 
when we focus on him above all else, we are changed from the inside out because his love changes us. We believe that the love of Christ changes people. When our focus is on Christ and Christ alone, sin is rooted out. Sin is rooted out of our lives and fruit, spiritual fruit begins to take place. Begins to grow. As we grow in Christ, we bear this spiritual fruit. Love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of these things. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians 3, here's what it says, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Our eyes are open and we can see God clearly. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate, we think about the Lord's glory. We are transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. See, when we think about God, when we focus on who he is, and what he thinks about us. We're transformed into his image. We are set free from the bondage of, of perception. We're set free from the bondage of appearance. From the bondage of having to fit in. We understand that we are accepted and loved by God. And is there truly anything greater than that? I want to invite you to close your eyes with me, bow your heads, whatever you need to do as we reflect on, on this truth before God. God thinks a lot about us, truly. As his beloved sons and daughters, God God cares deeply. But for just those few minutes, Peter cared more about what those people thought. People he didn't even know what they thought about him more than what Jesus, who knew him before he was even born. See, about 630 years earlier, a prophet, Jeremiah, he's called to serve God, and he's concerned of what others might think of him. God tells him, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah's like, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. I wonder who told him that. But the Lord says, 
Do not say, I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, those people, for I am with you, and I will rescue you. God is saying to us today, I know you. I have always known you. I know you better than anyone else. And when you know what I think of you, you don't need to worry about what anybody else thinks. So ask yourself, are you focused on what other people think about you? Are you focused on what God, who has always known you, what he thinks? Are you changing the way you behave or the way you look? Maybe the people you associate with, the ways that you talk with them, how you spend your time, how you dress, you name it. Are you changing for Christ or are you changing for others? God, we thank you for this wonderful truth that you know us and you love us. And we don't have to work to fit in. We don't have to work to be accepted that you have called us your sons and your daughters. You have called us to yourself. And you declare that we are accepted. God, I pray that we would not be so distracted by what others think I would others say that we would keep our eyes fixed on you, the only opinion whose matters. God, I pray that we would respond in obedience to you, that we would seek to glorify you on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, every day of the week, God. May we experience your love and plan that you have for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right now we invite you to stand as the worship team leads us in a song. Please feel free to respond however God leads. The altar is open for prayer. Please join us as we respond together.